everything's so geared towards technology these days. And, and there's, there's this, there's this push against doing labor. You know, nobody wants to be, do labor. Everybody shows up and they want to be a supervisor. And, but there's a lot of joy in watching a fruit tree grow and, you know, getting peaches or growing your own anything. Um, it's just amazing. Welcome to Queer Sacramento, a podcast about the lives of LGBTQ plus people, businesses, and events in and around the capital city of California, Sacramento. I'm your host, Michael Q. I am a certified and licensed massage therapist, professional stage actor, and owner of Q's Massage Studio, body positive massage therapy, right here in the Lavender Heights district of Midtown. Today's podcast, I'm here with Kip Bridges. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, yeah, this is, I'm excited. It'll be fun. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. So uh, first of all, can you let everyone know your official pronouns? Um, he, him, she, her, bitch, ho. All right, you better work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So I wouldn't have you on the podcast because you're. I've I've known you. Um, I've only been in the Sacramento area for a year and a half. But God, you've I, only been here a year and a half. Yeah, I moved here in September of 2018. So, well, boy, did you bring a footprint when you came? I mean, my feet are big, so. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, but you but the first thing I want to talk about is um, your gardening. So you mentioned that you're really really passionate about gardening. So the first thing I wanted to ask is why? Like what what is it about gardening that you love so much? Well, that's an interesting that's an interesting story. So um, 2003, I was dating this guy for the second or third time. Don't ask me why I came back, but I did. It was great. He's actually a very nice guy. We're still friends, um, but it just never worked out. And um, I was a massage therapist like you at the time. And I decided I was, I got really into Bikram yoga and a friend of mine and I were going to go do the Bikram yoga college, nine weeks of hell together. And then a day or two before we left, he's like, I can't go. And I'm like, uh, I'm all in. So I went, I went without him. And then in, in the time that I was gone, that relationship fell apart. And then I really, I had given everything away or sold it. And I was going to move to Fresno where he is. And uh, once that fell apart, I didn't have a home. And I didn't want to be in Sacramento, but here's where I'd been living for the last few years. So I called a friend of mine who ran an inn at the time. And I said, hey, do you mind if I come stay in your inn for a couple of days? And he's like, my house is your house. So I came over and uh, he immediately, when I showed up, my body had changed so much. Um, I was down to 130 pounds because we were doing, you know, Bikram yoga twice a day for two and a half hours and um, long hours of hearing the egomaniac Bikram talk about his life. <laughs> right. And tell and fill our heads full of lies. And, um, you know, if I knew now what I knew, knew, yeah, whatever, however that saying goes. But anyway, so um, I, he opened the door and, I didn't really notice it at the time because I was out of it from being in yoga boot camp. But he told me later he thought I was, you know, quote unquote sick. That's how the older people said it. Right. Because um, he, he had lost a lover and I had lost a lover. Uh, but I was, you know, I was, I just lost a shit ton of weight and muscle. 
Um, and so I, I ended up coming to stay with him uh, for a while because like I had nowhere to go and nobody knew I was back in town yet. And so I just took a couple of weeks to recover and I was at his breakfast table one morning looking at the paper and he's like, what are you looking at the paper? And I'm like, well, I'm looking for an apartment. I haven't decided where I want to land at. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just be here for another six months and get my head clear and work and get some more money saved up. And then I'll figure out where I want to land. And he says, well, I'm, I'm closing the inn. Would you want to stay here and help me? I could use the help and then you could stay here rent free as in exchange. And then you could do massages here. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a capital idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, and so I did that and we were already close close he was much older than me and i've always grabbed i've always collected uh father figures because i i didn't really have one growing up so that's that's kind of a condition when you don't have a dad you're always seeking one and and so he was my dad of the moment still is actually um but he was he ran this in and he was very much into gardening and he loved to give dinner parties and so did i and then suddenly he was very isolated because he was running that place by himself and i i at the time i knew everybody in town and so he had this beautiful inn and we had these lovely dinner parties. And one day he, he had me go out in the back to get something and he had this amazing bougainvillea. So there was, it's this 1908 home built by a contractor. So it was to the nines. And then somebody uh, that owned it before him was a Disney, Disney magician or something. I can't remember what the term is now, but it has a basement and they turned the basement into a cave with oh. stalactites and stalagmites and up and down lighting and so that was his living room oh that he, sounds fancy. yeah i yeah and he was an interior designer by trade so you can imagine this place was you know it was a great place to land after you know brutal yoga college so i went back there and i saw this bougainvillea that his kitchen opened up on the second floor so there was this lovely kind of spanish curving staircase to go down and an archway underneath that that went down into the basement and this bougainvillea was in just full glory and i started to cry and so he comes out finally to see what i was doing and i'm out there staring at this bougainvillea crying Mm -hmm. and he's like what's wrong with you and i'm like it's brackets are so beautiful and by that time everybody else had spilled out because he says like what's wrong with you and i'm crying and i'm like the brackets are so beautiful (laughs) and and I, i grew up on a farm and um before before reagan came along and so I, I was a field worker at age nine. And, and the oh, last wow. thing I, I know. And so the last thing I ever wanted to do was have anything to do with plants. But, you know, when you're exposed to something like that, it just becomes part of your DNA, I guess. And then he he exposed me to horticulture and irrigation and roses. He exposed me to roses. And I have roses in my backyard now. And. And so I began to garden with him and it was something that we did together for fun. And, and he, he was very design oriented. And then he got me to start to think like that. And, um, and he was very forgiving with me, which I hadn't, hadn't Mm -hmm. really experienced before. I had a succession of long-term boyfriends that weren't very forgiving and um that's just kind of the person i attracted to me and here was this very sweet older guy really being parental which was something i'd never had so -hmm. it was a really great time and i just kind of fell in love with gardening to the point where i 
actually ended up going to Davis during the downturn of 2008. Mm-hmm. There was nothing else to do. And be- got a landscape architecture degree. Finally finished my degree. Uh, and I'd waited wow. to do something professional because I wanted, I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be a contender. Right. Um, <laughs> and of course, of course, I went to school in 2008. So by the time I got out, there were no jobs. I hit every landscape architect firm person in the in the region and they were very happy to get a phone call from me until I until I said I was you know looking for work and they're like yeah no ah right oh because they they thought you were a client yeah they thought I was a client right Caltrans Caltrans was hiring but I I was married by then to a really wonderful person and and so I couldn't leave and all the jobs were out of town and so a friend of mine called me and said, I won't, I need my yard done. And so I did watercolors and I did 3d animations and everything I'd learned in school about this little yard on U street downtown. And I, he settled on one of the designs and said, okay, now you build it. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And he goes, I hired you. You're building it. And I made a phone call to a friend of mine and I'm like, I need a crew. And she goes, okay, what's the address? <laughs> and the following Monday, I showed up, and there was a crew of guys working. And for the next few years, we we did landscaping together. Wow, that's amazing! So it yeah. sounds it sounds like it, I love the fact that it sounds like gardening at least is something that helps you one to like bond with other people. I mean, because it seems like it's a very it's a cultivating process. You know, it you is have, a cultivating process. Forgive the pun. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I love that idea. It's something that I feel like in 2020, we're so used to this kind of Twitter-based to now generation where it's, I, I love that gardening is something that you really, it does take time. Like, you have to have patience. Well, it, teach you, it teaches you patience for sure because if you start from seed, which is just a miraculous thing to behold, um, you actually, to start from seed, you have to start with soil. You have to build a soil, a growing medium that's rich in the nu- nutrients and, and airspace because soil is basically organic, 50% organic matter, 50% space, and 50% moisture. And that's what healthy soil is. And uh, healthy soil has a billion biota in a teaspoon. So it has to have this rich forest of microorganisms for the plants to thrive. So you build the soil first and you put seeds in it and then you get a high, a high uh, productivity because you have a great growing medium and, and you tend it, you learn, you just fall in love with a, with a plant. You really like you feel your heart chakra open up. It's kind of amazing. And then there's such a sense of pride with, if you grow roses or you grow cucumbers and then, and then you taste home grown vegetables and it's nothing like the supermarket. And then you start to realize how low quality the food in the supermarket is and what a tomato is supposed to taste like. A, a heirloom tomato tastes amazing, not like an engineered greenhouse tomato that you, has no flavor in the grocery store. So it really it's eye-opening about getting in touch with nature. And then that biota in the soil matches the biota in your gut. So if you're getting that dirt underneath your fingernail, you get, you're ingesting those microorganisms and depression is alleviated and you're working in the garden. So you're releasing dopamine. So you feel better. So, and you're out in the sun getting vitamin D, vitamin D makes you feel better. And then you're getting all those nutrients from the soil and the food that you're eating. So it's this very holistic healing, good feeling sense of accomplishment kind of a thing. And the, 
the we've become so reliant on industrial agriculture and green harvested fruits and vegetables that lack phytochemicals and there's no reason there's no wonder that you know everybody's walking around depressed and stressed out because our food our food system is deficient (laughs) right and then on top of all that you have food deserts in the middle of even sacramento you have if you're if you're a mile away from a grocery store then that's a food desert and if you look around if you do a google map of where all the grocery stores are most people are more than a mile away from a from a grocery store especially in less affluent areas so you have people that are reliant on fast food and packaged food which have no nutritional value but it's cheap so there's there's this whole world that gardening opens you up to social justice issues and nutrition and health and mental health and there's just repercussions it's like rings of uh, rings on water you know it's just incredible that's so amazing to think about because <laughs> for me, I'm, you know, I'm from a, a big city in, uh, you know, Columbus, Ohio. So for me, I'm from a, I'm a, I'm a kind of a big city guy. So for me, you know, I mean, my grandmother would, you know, she had like a little garden and she would, I think she had some herbs and maybe some vegetables every once in a while that she would um, plant, but it was, it was pretty small. And so for me, it, it, Uh, gardening is something that I've never been interested in at all. It's just like, that's so boring. Let's go to the next thing. But it's interesting now living in the state of California because it is such a, it's an area that just, of the world, that the possibilities of of growing fruits and vegetables is so high here. And it's it's so amazing when you link in those ideas of activism uh, and relating it to gardening and how it really can help really create and sustain communities uh, and our livelihoods and like kind of our spiritual well-being that makes gardening really powerful. Well, it it is it, it is it is really powerful. And there's a Ron Finley, the gangster gardener in um, L.A. Who, uh, I, as we speak, I'm walking around my garden weeding. Um, he planted a median, a, a, a um, street median, by his house, and uh, he got in trouble for it. And so he fought it. And what ended up happening was he got the laws changed so that people could plant around their homes, you know, plant in their front yards and plant in the street. And the cool thing about plants is it lowers temperatures. So you have these heat islands out in the middle of, you know, this urban area with concrete and asphalt and all this stuff, and it drives temperatures. And it also, poorer neighborhoods are adjacent to industrial areas. So you have Superfund sites and pollutions that people in more affluent areas don't have. And plants alleviate that. There are many plants that will take poisons out of the soil and clean soil like oysters clean water. So it's, there's, it's really incredible once you get into the science and horticulture and botany, all these amazing things that open up. And uh, Ron Finley is a big hero of mine because of what, he's, what he was able to do is just one person planting a median that had flowers. And it has all these repercussions of like teaching kids to, to grow their own food and and community farms and, and lowering pollution rates and lowering temperatures and building a better life and getting nutrition. And it's like, oh, it's like re- repercussion, repercussion, repercussion with simple little plants. Well, and it's crazy. Wait, then you called him the gardening gangster? Wait, why, do you call, why is he called that? That's his, that's what he calls himself. He's a, 
He's a black guy that lives in the gang-infested areas of L.A. that grows plants. He's the gardening gangster. Ron Finley, he's amazing. I've talked to him. Before he got to be really famous, we would talk on Facebook. But And every now and then, we, we haven't in a long time. But his kids, his son's a, an amazing artist. And he's just this really super guy. He's been to Sacramento. Um, oh, shoot. What's that high school? It's a name, and I, I'm 52 now, and so things don't come to me like it used to, but it's got that really interesting name in South Sac. But anyway, he was invited up here to do a gardening program with them. Oh. So he, he, yeah, he really does get around, and he's he's got notoriety, and he's got some funding, and um, yeah, he's really an incredible guy. He's on Facebook. He has bees, and you know, it's just he's created kind of this um, – awareness and revolution maybe i mean if you can get kids to put their hands in soil and get dirt underneath their fingernails that dirt and those those microorganisms are going to get in their gut and that's going to make them feel better and it's just that simple i mean it's scientific i've seen you making a bunch of masks as well like during this global pandemic i've seen you making those but you so but you also it sounds like i mean you've been like you sewn kind of have you sewn your own clothes and things like i feel like you know how to do this you're uh i mean you sew pretty often right well i do now so what so what happened with the masks was um so i'm also a, a fully professed sister of the sisters of perpetual indulgence in sacramento which are the capital city sisters and so and that that persona is Sister Audrey Heartburn, ODD because I'm odd, and Heartburn because I'm nauseous. But um, well, can uh, so, you also? I would say before you go a little bit further into that, can you describe to people what who are the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence? Well, that's a good question. So the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence have been around for 41 years now, Easter, and they started Easter weekend 1979. By four friends, two of which were grad students from University of Iowa. One gravitated here after Harvey Milk was killed and then got his friend to come with him. And then they met these other two guys. One of them was a performance and costume maker, and the other one taught meditation. And they, they had a history. These two guys from Iowa had a history of drag performance, drag activism, um, gay activism. I mean, they were in Iowa, University of Iowa making gay prides and so all of a sudden awesome. here they are in san francisco yeah and then the san francisco you know they called them the castro queens it was this very kind of masculine cowboy leather marble man kind of aesthetic very white and here these guys come along and they're like mm, no and so um vicious power hungry bottom just get so used, used to calling them <laughs> sister vish or mother vish that you, you forget the whole moniker um, but anyway, oh, he had, that, he, that's so funny. I mean, power hungry bottom is the uh, best part. Vicious power hungry bottom. Oh, but it's all tongue in cheek. The idea was they, you know, they, they, so he had these costumes from an actual nunnery in Iowa that he brought to California with him because he was going to do this send up of, of sound of music and drag. Cause he was all about performance. Um, so he had these things and the four of them went out. Easter weekend because it was Easter dressed as nuns and you know to kind of upset the norm of all these cowboy clones and people dug it and suddenly they had this following and that you know you see in some movies like um Church Song Trilogy the nuns roller skating down the down mm -hmm. the street yeah. that's where that came from and so there's a lot of 
there's a lot of social references, cultural references in movies and stuff. Once you know what they are like, Oh, sisters. And so the first time I came to San Francisco, I moved up to Northern California in 2009. No, I'm sorry. What? Back up. 19, 1997. God damn it. That's not right either. 1999. Again, 52. Um, 1999. And so soon after that, I went to San Francisco for the first time. And there were the sisters out in the Castro. And I'm like, what in the hell is that? Oh, that's the sisters are great. And I'm like, God, Sacramento needs that. Because I came from Long Beach, which was very gay, to mm-hmm. Sacramento, which rolled the, rolled the sidewalks up at, at 8 o'clock at night. But I was only supposed to be here for six months. And then, you know, that was 20-something years ago. Oh, God. This town. Right. <laughs> this town. This town will suck the life out of you. And at the same time, it's so good. But um, so fast forward to Trump era, I was really pissed off and having some mental breakdowns around that. And then all, and then all of a sudden there were sisters in town and they were doing some yoga and I was into yoga. So I said, well, I'm going to go support these people. And I went and did sister yoga in the park with them. And I met, met them and I got to be really good fast friends with one named Coco Diamore. D stands for dick. It doesn't really it stands for the, but I used to mess with her about that all the time. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she hates me to this day around it, but she became my ultimately became my, my big, my mother in the, in the order. And, um, it was, uh, Coco Diamore and, uh, sister Holly go lightly and myself. We were three peas in a pod for a long time. But so I came to Sacramento costumers to learn how to sew at the end of last year to make frocks for Audrey because it's all about performance and appearance. And our mission is to spread universal joy and expiate stigmatic guilt. And, and we're basically clear, Mm. queer clowns and the more outrageous and ridiculous we can be, then that, that makes, that allows other people to be more comfortable in their skin. And that's Mm. kind of, kind of the whole thing. And um, so we paint our face up white and all kinds of crazy, like some of the people that do this, like there's more than a thousand sisters worldwide. There's 90 houses in 11 countries. Poland has a single sister in it with all their hateful. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a powerful ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to meet her at Conclave last, last year, the 40th anniversary. And I was just blown away by her. I was just like, Oh my God, Poland, you're the only one. So uh, it's a great, it's a great ministry, um, and we've raised thousands of dollars in Sacramento, and that money stays in the community. And we put the money into uh, LGBT homeless youth. We have about six hundred homeless youth in town. Um, they, uh, we give them to the trans community. Uh, try to support the trans community as much as possible. Uh, we just did a scholarship uh, drive for. Um, Rainbow Chamber of Commerce and raised $3,000. We did a $700 event with Sister Libby, an actual Catholic nun, nuns helping nuns. And, <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, and she has a program called uh, Mercy Peddlers, and she, they do one-on-one outreach to homeless. And it's like, here's tampons, here's water, here's you know a list of services that you can call on, you know, what – it's like kind of triage on the street and there's all these volunteers that go out and, um, you know, $700 buys a lot of tampons. It does. Right. I love that. So also, so you're saying that you, um, were learning how to make these frocks, um, being, and being a sister and, uh, but now you're making masks. So now you're making these masks. Are you making these for people in the community or who are these masks going to? Well, after COVID happened and 
the phone was my phone was ringing for landscaping and all of a sudden it stopped ringing because everybody's on lockdown and nobody knows what's going on and so i i follow christian seriano on instagram and he was making all these masks and i went in to sew one day and i said to sheila who runs um sacramento costumers i said hey we should make masks and she said that's funny you should say that because we just got an order from kaiser and so we, oh. they sent us a design that we had to follow strictly and how to build it. And we made those and we got them made and then they stopped communicating with us. And so, so, you know, in that time, you know, a day later they found a source, I guess, cause we just never heard back. Well, we ended up giving those, that order that we completed to some organization. I can't remember now. And Sacramento costumers is, is kind of a loose conglomerate of craftspeople. It's Sheila. Um, and it was Madge Madge. It was Sheila and Madge, but then Madge Madge went to Trinidad to see her sister get married and took the wedding. She made the wedding gown and all the bridesmaids gown. And I think the suit for the groom went to Trinidad was in a car wreck and died. Oh wow! Then COVID happened, <laughs> so it's been it's been kind of kooky around there. So Sheila's been kind of on her own, but she has all these students like myself that come in, and she does costumes for the opera in town. And she had been working on that. Well, all of a sudden that just went away, like everything stopped. So we we just started making masks, and I learned to make masks. And at some point, Sheila said, "I have to keep the lights on. I can't keep donating. We're going to sell them." And so she, her office is in um, Atrium 916, which is a, a federation of craftspeople, create, creative people under one roof. And oh, okay. So, and so um, Shira, who runs that, started selling online. And then a few days later, the mayor put, put that on his Facebook or something. And then it went nuts. And we basically became a sweatshop for many weeks without a day off, keeping up with orders. In fact, we had to stop taking orders because we were so inundated. I mean, I remember on Instagram, you like almost every day you were posting these pictures of different masks. I was like, I was like, okay, he is getting, he's getting it did. So many masks. I love it. Well, it was, I didn't have anything else to do. Um, and it was all in the beginning. It was just charity. So I was like, well, let's do, let's do this. You know, I, what else am I going to do? And if the phone rings and I get a job, then I'll just go do the job. So uh, my husband's in politics. And so now many politicians and staff people are wearing my masks and um, we're shipping out masks all over the country, uh, New York. I, you know, you and I know a lot of big men. And so I make mm-hmm. men, I make masks for big men. So big men know other big men all over the country. So I'm shipping big masks that you can wear your glasses with because I wear glasses and I'm bent over a sewing machine. So I've developed a model that prevents your if it doesn't prevent your your glasses from um, fogging up, it almost completely eliminates it. So at least you can do your work with your mask on. Well, that's really great to hear because I know that a lot, I mean, I've seen photos online. I've seen some of my friends walking down the street and like, these are bigger people. And <laughs> just like, I'm like, girl, this mask does not fit on you. You know, so I'm glad that you're making masks for, for bigger people because just like with everything else, you know, we're marginalized. So no one thinks about us, you know? And so um, just like with clothes and everything else. So so I'm glad that you're doing that. 
Well, thank you. It's been really fun. And, uh, you know, of course, Sheila is basically me and Sheila and then other people kind of satellite in every now and then. But most of the time, it's just me and her. And so we're very much two peas in a pod. And, you know, we're scheming and planning, like, how can we parlay this into other things and have a long term career? And sooner or later, this is going to be over, but not sooner later. Right. So we're so we're resigned to that. We're going to be making masks for a while. And um you know there's no landscape design out there and and i honestly when people are calling i'm like here's the deal here's what you know here's my deliverables i can send examples of that i can send pictures of my work i don't have a website because i was always so busy i never just got around to it and i never needed it people would be like oh so and so used you i saw their yard come come do mine um but now people have gotten very skeptical just because of the cultural situation and and they, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen next. And uh, the 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 state workers just got a ten percent pay cut. And who wants to spend twenty thousand dollars on their backyard if they're, you know, looking at pay cuts and that sort of thing? So you know. So wrapping up, I wanted to ask. You, oh, we're done already. Hell, are, I'm just getting started. I know you are. So, so if uh, <laughs> I knew we could talk for hours about so many things. So if, um, if someone's interested in learning more about kind of gardening or even more about um, kind of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence or if they want to purchase one of your masks, um, is there any way, what's the best way for them to contact you? <clears throat> oh, gosh. Um, so masks, the best way to go is through uh, Atrium 916 webpage. There are, there are many mask makers there with different levels of masks for sale and different styles. Uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, Capital City Sisters, Capital with an O. Um, and you, we're on Facebook and we have internet, uh, yeah, internet presence. So Facebook, Capital City Sisters, or you can Facebook Audrey, O-D-D-R-E-Y, Heartburn. Um, I'm readily on there. And uh, Kip Bridges on Facebook, if you want to find out about gardening or something, everything's so geared towards technology these days. And, and there's, there's this, there's this push against doing labor, you know, nobody wants to be do labor, everybody shows up and they want to be a supervisor. And, but there's a lot of joy in watching a fruit tree grow and, you know, getting peaches or growing your own anything. Um, it's just amazing. I love that. That's a great way to end. Um, thank you so much for wanting to talk to me. I mean, you're a wealth of information. You've always been a beautiful person. And this was great. Thank you so well, much. Well, you're a beautiful person. I mean, I can't remember how we met now, but it was just, and I'm like that with people. There's that immediate thing with people that I'm like, okay, we're friends now. You're my friend. And then my, my circle is quite close. I don't, or closed. I don't have, I'm one of those people that have a few close friends and then I have an outer circle friend. And beyond that, I'm like, yeah, you, hi, how are you? Bye. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very kind of protective that way. I, for, for whatever reason in my psychology, that's just the way I operate.